0: Good morning, church family. This is Jack Gatewood, associate pastor of discipleship and church membership. And I'm excited to get to bring to you the lesson today. I'm going to invite you to join me in prayer as we begin. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to spend time in your word. And I pray that as I share and as we look at your word, Father, that you would teach us and by your spirit instruct us. And Father, we might take your word seriously this morning. So give me clarity of thought and expression. And give all those who hear this, Father, the ability to know what you want to teach them. And so we ask these things together in Christ's name. Amen. This is a new quarter for us. LifeWay's curriculum plan for Explore the Bible is to cover the 66 books of the Bible in eight years. The order is sometimes a bit chaotic, but they seek to balance the historical books, the wisdom literature, the gospels, and the letters so that it is constantly changing. We welcome you to this first study of the summer 2020 quarter, where we will spend 11 weeks in Proverbs, followed by two weeks in the Song of Solomon. The book of Proverbs is one of the five books described as wisdom literature. They are Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. They're sometimes described as poetry because they're written in the form of Hebrew poetry. They're right in the middle of the Old Testament. The wisdom books do not contain great events or history like the previous 17 books. They contain no new laws like the first five books. They don't tell the story of God's people as the other 34 books do, but they give wisdom to individuals for facing life from God's perspective. When Paul wanted to talk about humility and unity, he turned to the Proverbs. When Peter wanted to write to young churches about conceit, dissensions, folly, and judgment, he turned to the Proverbs. When James wanted to talk about pride and presumption, he turned to the Proverbs. When the writer of Hebrews wanted to encourage Christians who were enduring suffering, he turned to the Proverbs. And when Jesus told his parable in Luke 14 of the guests at the wedding feast, he used the Proverbs. One writer said that wisdom is the art of living skillfully in whatever condition we find ourselves. The book of Proverbs is about godly wisdom, how to get it, how to use it. It's about priorities and principles not get-rich-quick schemes or success formulas. It tells you not how to make a living, but how to be skillful in the lost art of making a life. Nancy Guthrie described Proverbs as biblical wisdom essentially involves skill in the art of godly living. It applies God's principles to the whole ordinary life, including relationships, the home, justice, work, decisions, attitudes, reactions, everything a person says or even thinks. The wisdom taught in Proverbs is God-centered through and through, teaching shrewd and sound handling of one's affairs in God's Word. It is submission to God's will. Throughout the Old Testament, we read of the history of God's people. But the book of Proverbs doesn't give us that history except to say in chapter 1, verse 1, that these are the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. Therefore, these proverbs and these truths are anchored in God and His covenant people. Proverb comes from the Hebrew word mashal, which means comparison, a simile, or a parallel. In short, a proverb is a figure of speech in which the author uses comparison in order to present a pithy, poignant observation or instruction. A proverb is a timeless truth in the form of a simple illustration that exposes a fundamental reality of life. Proverbs are practical and not theoretical and easy to memorize and eminently applicable to real-life situations. Proverbs are a distinctive genre or type of literature. The English word proverb means in place of words. It is usually a succinct statement that stands in the place of a long explanation and expresses a truth about reality. The proverb understood broadly is a short saying that offers advice or an observation on the world. Cervantes had a memorable definition. He said that a proverb was a short sentence founded on long experience. Proverbs express ideas that are commonly accepted as true. The book of Proverbs is in two parts. Chapters 1 through 9 is an explanatory teaching about wisdom. It is in the essence of a preface that attempts to convince us to read the rest of the book and to explain to us why wisdom is so valuable. Our first six lessons will cover these nine chapters. Chapters 10 through 31 is a collection of Proverbs by multiple authors, most of them from Solomon. And so we'll spend five lessons looking at those 800 or so Proverbs, or at least select ones. Let me share two thoughts as we get ready to dive into the book of Proverbs. First, Proverbs are not guaranteed promises. John MacArthur gives us a good perspective on this. We need to understand that Proverbs are divine guidelines and wise observations teaching underlying principles, but they are not always inflexible laws or absolute promises. The expressions of general truth generally do have exceptions due to the uncertainty of life and the unpredictability of fallen men. God does not guarantee uniform outcome or application for each proverb, but in studying them and applying them, one comes to find, to contemplate the mind of God, His character, His attributes, His work, and His blessings. All of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge expressed in the Proverbs are hidden in Christ, according to Colossians 2.3. The second truth is this. The individual Proverbs are not arranged by topic and not necessarily related to those that precede or follow them but important truth is revealed in the general structure or progression of the total book. It begins with a statement of purpose and an endeavoring to guide or teach youth, followed by a description of wisdom with benefits of seeking it and the dangers of ignoring its teachings. The early warnings describe at some length the characteristics of the seductive, adulterous, and related dangers of following her enticements. In subsequent chapters that contain the Proverbs, the youth is called is in the school of wisdom, as it were, and the book ends with a lengthy description of a virtuous wife. Ending with a strong contrast to the early descriptions of the adulteress teaches that following the path of Christian wisdom leads ultimately to fulfilling and virtuous life and relationships. So let's look at this week's lesson. After King David died, his son Solomon became the ruler of the Kingdom of United Israel for 40 years. Was an incredibly daunting task, and Solomon's father David had been a great and brilliant king who sought after the heart of God. So, 1 Kings chapter 3 tells us the story. God appeared in a dream to Solomon and asked him what he would like him to do. Solomon's answer is found in verses 6 through 12, and so I'll read those to us today. Solomon said to the Lord, You have shown great lovingkindness to your servant David my father, according as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you. And you have reserved for him this great loving kindness that you have given him a son to set on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen, a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? And then the Bible records in verse 10 of chapter 3 it was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked for this thing. And so God granted him supernatural wisdom. As it was, it says, that he was wiser than any man who ever lived before him or would ever live after him. And so, the book of Proverbs is taken primarily from the wisdom of Solomon, that which he collected or that which he himself uh, created. So, we're in a great treasure trove of God's Word to read this. So, this morning's lesson comes from chapter 1. So, we want to begin with the first six verses, which is an introduction to the book. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David the king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth knowledge and discretion, a wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel, to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and the riddles." So this is the purpose in these first six verses. It's meant to teach what wisdom is and how it applies to life. Solomon shares some of the benefits that come to those who give serious attention to his Proverbs. He shares that these Proverbs will give wisdom. They will give instruction in righteousness. They will give instruction in justice and in equity, which is a great need in our country today. It will give discernment, learning how to make great and wise choices. It will give prudence, helping people to be cautious especially those who are naive or too trusting, and it will give youth two things that they naturally lack, knowledge and discretion. The Proverbs will even grow a wise man's learning and understanding, so everyone needs them. Now I want to read verse 7, which is the key verse for the entire lesson today, and in fact, the key verse for the entire book of Proverbs. Chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction." Uh, This book is dedicated to passing on the best wisdom from God to His people, and this is a verse that we need to understand. It is the lens by which a Christian needs to look into the book of Proverbs. The true source of knowledge and the true source of wisdom and the true source of instruction is fear of the Lord. Wise believers see things God's way so they can do things His way. And wisdom, it says, is the beginning, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, Wisdom has a starting point. It begins with a relationship with the Lord. We grow in that wisdom by walking with the Lord. In today's world, people act as if wisdom comes through experience, uh, but this is not necessarily so. People act like it comes with age, and it's not automatically so. Wisdom comes from an honest relationship with the Lord himself. So Solomon uses the word beginning to say this is the principal thing, this is the essential thing, this is the main thing. The word fear that he uses here is not to infer terror or dread, but rather it's awe and respect for God. This respect toward God comes from loving Him and understanding who He is. Solomon reiterated this connection between fearing the Lord and gaining wisdom in chapters 8 and again in chapters 15, and in the Psalms and in the book of Job we find this same uh, truth. In typical Hebrew poetry style, Solomon contrasts wisdom with the actions of a fool. A fool has no use for God. They despise and often ridicule his wisdom. This makes it crystal clear that a wise person and a fool are easily distinguished by their relationship to God and His Word. The contrast between wisdom and fools will come up again and again throughout the book of Proverbs. Now I want to read the heart of the lesson today, which is uh, chapter 1, verses 8-19. through 19. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and an ornament to your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol, even whole as those who go down to the pit. We will find all kinds of precious wealth. We will fill our houses with spoil. Throw in your lot with us. We shall all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path, for their feet run to evil, and they hasten to shed blood. Indeed, it is useless to spread the baited net in the sight of any bird. But they lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. Some tremendous truths here. but Solomon is uh, perhaps teaching his son Rehoboam, who would eventually succeed him as king or perhaps he's teaching uh, all of his sons or even more probably he's teaching just young men in general and he's saying here is something they need to heed here's something they need to hear and to listen carefully and then also listen to what your mother's going to say parents have a joint responsibility for instructing and teaching their children and their son is being told to take their words the parents words very seriously First, those words are called a graceful wreath or a garland in verse 9. This is worn to signify someone who had accomplished something important. It was given to someone who won a competition or when they were victorious in war. The garland proclaimed their victory and the honor that went with it. Solomon is saying that if his son would listen to him, then it will reveal honor and find favor for him. The ornament around the neck or the pendant is also something that signified honor. In verse 10, Solomon addressed a huge concern for all young men and for simple people. This is that they get enticed to join groups of similarly-minded youth. He warns that if gangs of sinners try to draw you in, do not join them. A sinner is anyone who has their chief aim to please themselves above everything else. They are self-focused. What they're doing may or may not be illegal, but their goals are not God's goals. And they will always attempt to draw you in. So what are the things that entice us as adults today? It may not be to be part of a gang or be with other adults, but there are things or pursuits, dreams, goals, ambitions that are not from the Lord. In verses 10-14, through Solomon describes these others who would pull you away from the Lord's wisdom. Their promise is sometimes of wealth or notoriety or satisfaction. In the New and the Old Testament, there were a problem with gangs of highway robbers. They were very common. They plagued the kings of Israel, including David and Solomon, and they plagued the Roman authorities. They were a deeply rooted evil in the life of the people then. Perhaps not so much different from the gangs that we experience here today. So let me ask you, pause your recording for just a moment and ask yourself this question. What is it that entices you to draw away from the Lord? What causes you to not listen? To his advice well I'm sure you had some good thoughts there and some interesting thoughts and I encourage you to continue to think on that what are the things that take us from the Lord in verse 15 Solomon tells his son to uh, do not go with them, resist do not go where they go and this is the same problem that we face as we hang out with ungodly people we tend to become more like them In verse 17, he tells his son that those who would try to trap him or do harm to others, in effect, are laying a trap for themselves. This is the first actual proverb of over 800 in the book. It seems to say that even with a net spread in open sight, undisguised, foolish youth will still wander wander into it. They can't even see what should be obvious. To them, no harm will ever happen to them. They are blind to the realities about them. Solomon warns don't run with them because surely ruin awaits them. As Solomon says in verse 18, they ambush their own lives. And then he gives a general warning in verse 19 to stay away from people. Use violence to gain anything. Violence will consume them. Let me ask you, is there anything more frustrating in your life than to have regret over something that you've done, something that's been foolish? Do you know what it's like to lay awake at night wishing you'd done something differently or gone in a different direction, taken a different position, spoken a different word? Do you know what it's like to wake up in the morning and feel the sting of remembering something foolish you did or something you failed to do you should have? Perhaps it was over the use of money or an unhealthy relationship. Not hanging with people who would have helped you, would have steered you in the right direction, or opened my mouth and said something I shouldn't have, or stayed silent when I should have spoken or not saying what desperately needed to be said. God created man to be wise and to live in loving obedience and dependence on him. But our great grands, Adam and Eve, made the big daddy of all foolish decisions and they rebelled. So we inherited a foolishness, a foolish nature quite naturally. But God is too good to leave us floundering in our foolishness. He comes to us offering wisdom. And he's much more active than that. So we read in Proverbs uh, one beginning just with verse 20. Wisdom shouts in the streets, and she lifts her voice in the square. And here Solomon basically um, pictures wisdom as a wise and mature woman who wanders the street calling youth to follow her. He's painted another word picture and personified wisdom and attempts to draw young people in to seek after her and to listen to her. In verse 22, he talks about three classes of people, and he uses words that are used throughout the book of Proverbs. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Simple or naive ones are people that are open to good influences, but they're also open to evil influences. Scorners are men who despised what was holy. They prided themselves in their cleverness and so doing. They avoided wisdom. They held themselves above their own advice. They were proud and arrogant men. Uh, This word became a popular word during the days of Solomon. When the nation being so prosperous caused men to become indifferent to God's ways and to doubt uh, his need. Then he used the word fools who are dull, stupid people who are confident in their own wisdom and need no one's outside help. So wisdom warns, do not be like any of these people. So the first chapters of Proverbs will be laying the case for seeking wisdom. It is laying the groundwork for the 800 Proverbs that will come in the later chapters. I want to thank everyone for being a part of this study today. I'm excited to see what God is going to show you in these next 10 weeks as we look at this ancient collection of God's wisest advice. In preparation for this next week, I'm going to encourage you to go ahead and read Proverbs 2 and chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Let me give you another challenge also in the coming uh, days and weeks. I've been challenged this many years ago, and sometimes I'm good at it, sometimes not as good, but it's a great challenge. To read a chapter of Proverbs every day, there are 31 Chapters in Proverbs corresponds to 31 days of the month. So today, Sunday, is June 7th, so this is the day to read Proverbs 7. Tomorrow, Monday, read Proverbs 8. And I let me encourage you, in our three months of study, read a chapter of Proverbs a day. Read the chapter that corresponds to the day of the month. And by the end of August, let me uh, challenge you to have done that, and then uh, share with me the things that you've learned from God's Word. I think you're going to be blessed as you see how God's Word becomes alive. Now, I'm going to invite you to join me in prayer as we close. Father, we thank you for sharing wisdom with us. Um, we ask you to deliver us from the hands of people and the minds of people and the influence of people, Father, who think they have it figured out. Help us remember that we have always needed your instruction and we always will. So we thank you for sharing it with us. Thank you for the life of Christ who lives in us, Father, and uh, causes us to hunger for your word, to hunger for the truth, the hunger to be obedient. And then, Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit, which not only allows us to want your word, but, Father, gives us the strength and the wherewithal to do what you lead us to do. So, Father, instruct us with your word this day and this week, and we ask these things together in Christ's name. Amen.